how beautiful is the presence of God, eh? So let's not lose it. Don't switch off now and listen to me. Okay, let's just pray. Because, Lord, there is none like you. There's just nothing like your presence. And Lord, we want to house you today. We want to know you, even as we are fully known. So thank you for the way that you are coming down. Ashley saying it, Lord, heaven touching down this morning. Healing. Thank you for healing. Hallelujah. Thank you that you can settle on each heart right now. That nobody miss out, Lord. Those are, I just pray that we would all open our hearts wide that our cups would overflow, that you would just fill us and fill us and fill us with your presence. That, Lord, you could um, open our, well, we open our hearts. We pray that you would open our minds and give us your wisdom and give us your understanding. Thank you for this amazing invitation (laughs) to be immersed in your love and one with your heart. That's what I want to talk about is oneness. I, um, I shared a tiny bit of this message on Easter, so we're gonna recap. And I'm sorry for those of you who've heard bits already before. Hopefully they just make more sense and God fleshes it out. Because we're all on this wonderful journey, eh? But really, he's been writing, he's writing individual stories in all of our hearts, but he's been writing a story from the beginning of time (laughs) that he's just building upon and building upon and building upon and unfolding before us. So let's go back to the garden and the very beginning when God made Adam in his own image. Um, I'm just going to read that couple of verses. Sorry, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a juggle, mics and glasses and scriptures, but <laughs> bear with me. Um, it says in Genesis 2, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So God had created the whole world, right? Our whole beautiful planet and everything in it. It's so intricate, it's so gorgeous, it's so complex. Everything has significance with God. He looked over all that he'd made and he said it was good. But he was looking for something more. So he makes man in his own image. We all know it. He'd made all the animals. All the animals were male and female, two by two. He asked Adam to name them. 
So Adam's observing this over and over and over and over, and at the end he comes to it. It's like, but where's my she? (laughs) It's a picture of God's heart. He's longing and looking for his counterpart. Not because he has to, not because he needs to, not because he's so long. He's, he's one. There's God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit in perfect harmony. But in his heart, he wanted to. And he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. Anyways, he specially forms Eve as the perfect helpmate for Adam and the two become one. And marriage is such a beautiful picture of his heart where he's longing for his bride. We can come back to that later because, well, maybe I'll... Okay, so we've often heard the simplicity of of God taking Eve out of man, out of Adam, But, you know, it wasn't like she was a little woman inside. It's like not that simple. He didn't take the whole of her out of Adam, did he? He took one rib. One rib. And out of that rib, he formed another unique being, a like person. They were all, were all created, male and female, like God. So if we, f- we flip over, it says... In um, Genesis, earlier in the passage, and God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle of every creeping thing. So I didn't really want that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay, so you follow? So it's not just man made in God's image. It's woman made in God's image. Together, representing who he is. Or, what I'm proposing is he was adding on. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. He wanted... Not just what was there already, but he was adding extra onto that rib. He was creating the more. And then he was wanting that to multiply and multiply out. So as we know, we're on a journey that moves on. Abraham comes. He's a sojourner. He's looking for a better place. He's looking for the city of our God. He's moving place to place because he's listening to God and he's willing to follow and go wherever he says. Then there's the promise of a son, an impossible son that he can't have in his own person. And so we know the story of Isaac but then it was it, Isaac was the promise. He was the promise, the son that multiplied out seed that we all became, can become children of Abraham. But it was Jacob. It was Jacob who wrestled with God, who became Israel. And Israel became God's chosen people that were again a picture of his heart, his desire for marriage. She was that bigger, larger body. Okay, so individually he loves for each one of us. Individually he wants to be one with us. But he also wants to be one with many corporately who together are one in him. Starting to make sense? Hmm. So the reality was, as much as God wants to be one with us, again and again, we choose to do our own thing. Is that not true? Is that not what happened in the garden? 
everything was there for him, everything was beautiful, everything was good. But God didn't want to just make man to worship him. He always desired that man would choose. So there was that one choice, and we know the story, and mankind fell, all of it. Sin entered each one of us who would ever be born as seed, which is exactly why Jesus needed to redeem us and buy us back. It was his heart that so longed for oneness that he would be willing to go to the cross. And so he had to come to buy us back. So, following along, <laughs> Jesus comes down from heaven and he chooses 12 disciples. He actually chooses 12 men. Why 12 men? It's not a male chauvinist pig. <laughs> he actually loved women, <laughs> he made women, she was his idea. But he had also called man to lead as the head, as he is. Okay, so we have 12 men. 12 speaks of authority. It speaks of headship. Now those 12 men that he called, they came from all walks of life. But many were fishermen. And he wanted to teach them to be fishers of men. Why? Because he wanted things, things to go wider. He had a bigger plan. Yeah. Okay? They were also brothers. Many of them were brothers. In fact, some of them were actually, two of them were his half-brothers. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. All the time he was teaching them, teaching them to love and serve, to humble themselves like he had done, to listen and to obey the Father. That's all Jesus ever did. And to lay down their lives like he did. So of those three, See, it was relationship, wasn't it? He wanted to hang with them. He wanted to be with them. He was moving, teaching, continually imparting, rubbing shoulders with them. But then of those 12, there were three that we hear about over and over and over. Peter, James, and John. Okay. Now, as I said, everything has significance. God's so detailed. So I was... Yeah, I was just thinking again. So Jacob's name was changed, wasn't it? He became Israel. Peter's name was changed. Why? He was really Simon, wasn't he? When Jesus found him and called him, it was Simon. Simon and Andrew, James and John. Okay. So I was just looking, I was interested. I looked up Simon. thinking, God, what does that mean? You know, what it, you know what it means? Hears and listens. Some even say obey. I was fascinated to see that when I, when I really thought about it, there were actually five Simons that were right close, right around that time. The name is actually derived from Simeon, which, of course, is the Old Testament coming through. Simeon was the old man in the temple looking for the Messiah, looking for Jesus. He saw him come in as a baby, recognized him, and worshipped God. Okay, then there was, then as his disciples, Jesus called two Simons. Interesting. Um... I think he's saying he really wants us to listen and to hear. The third Simon that I recognize, because we always have this choice. He was the, the wealthy guy. 
who had Jesus over for dinner when the prostitute came in and broke her alabaster jar on his feet, on Jesus' feet. And interesting, Simon was indignant. How would you let her even touch you? But Jesus said to him, you know, here I am in your house. You didn't even honor me or welcome me or do anything. But she's wept and cried and honored and wiped my feet with the tears of her, or the hairs of her head. Choices. Then you got Simon of Cyrene. He was right there when Jesus was carrying, couldn't carry the cross any further. Said, will you carry it for him right now? Yep, he's the one. Helped carry it the rest of the way. Amazing. And you got Simon the sorcerer. He recognized and saw the power of God too. But he wanted it for his own gain and his own glory. So anyways, I got a bit sidetracked there. But to me, it was a fascinating thing. Wow, five people with that name all came to mind. Anyways, Simon Peter was definitely one who listened and who obeyed. So much so that his unwavering faith became solid and strong that God changed his name to Peter, which means a rock. Okay, we slag off about Peter a lot because he was impulsive, and, but man, he was incredible. When you think about it, he's the only one that walked on water. Why? Because he saw and he heard. He saw the Lord coming. He said, God, if it's you, call me and, and I'll come. You know? Heard his voice. Obeyed. Sure, he got scared, looked down. But man, <laughs> until that, he was walking on water. And nobody else did. Okay? Mm. Peter saw miraculous healings. Some of them when just the sh his very shadow fell on people and they were healed. He was escorted out of prison by an angel. He was a great orator. Hmm. thing I didn't say about Peter, James, and John so Jesus called them aside to pray, and he transfigured before them. They saw him in the natural, his whole being glorified, his garments like white. And again, a crossover from the Old Testament, how fascinating, Moses and Elijah appear. God's not abolishing the old. He came to fulfill the law that we could never fulfill. Yeah. That he could save us from our sin. Anyways, looking at James, I looked up what his name means. And it's surplanter. Usurps, taking the place of someone else. And I thought, how fascinating. Okay, so James and John were brothers, right? James is the older brother. Who else was a surplanter and usurped his place? We flip back into Jacob. Jacob, the younger brother, grasps the heel. Esau sells out his birthright. And Jacob becomes Israel, receives the promise. So the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. But God doesn't have favorites. It doesn't mean one is better than the other, or anyone's less than anyone else. James was the first martyr. Peter also had another, an older brother, and that was Andrew. Andrew was the first disciple to be called. He'd been following John the Baptist. 
and God recognized and saw and called them through again. It's a crossover. So John, oh, uh, Andrew, Andrew's name means manly and strong. I thought that's interesting too. First disciple he calls, why he's calling men. He's building headship. He's building leaders. He's creating a body or he's adding into a body, more specifically, that he's been building and forming and calling for a long time. John, the youngest, he was more about relationship. He called himself the beloved. His name means graced by God, or God is gracious. There were two Johns. Okay, so there were five Simons, there were two James, there were two Johns, there's all these, it's really fascinating to go all down what all their names mean, but we don't have time for that today. So, John the Beloved, he laid his head on Jesus' chest. He was the only disciple to be at the cross. He was the only disciple not martyred. Not because they didn't try, they just couldn't kill him. <laughs> John saw and wrote the book of Revelations. Okay, so see how he says, so the first John, John the Baptist, Jesus said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. He prepared the way for Jesus, the Lamb of God, to come as Savior of the world. But John the disciple prepares the way for us in the future. He writes revelations about the return of Jesus, our bridegroom king. Amen. Okay, so men might be called to lead as head, but man comes out of woman, just like woman came out of man. Follow? We've got cycles, we've got oneness, we've got integration. Anyways, again, one is not better than the other. They complement, they respect, honor, and serve each other. At least they're meant to. That's God's heart. It was always his design. But within the marriage, the woman most adequately, adequately portrays the bride, right? As man and wife, if marriage in the natural is a picture, then he's the head, she's the bride. So there were many, many women who loved and followed him also. They served and cared for his needs. They financially supported him out of their own means. They listened and learned, believed and loved him. In fact, more of them followed him to the cross. They were there. They were emotionally sharing in his suffering and in his sorrow. A few of them, there, that were named, there was Salome, mother of James and John, Joanna, Susanna. But if we were looking at the three men who were closest to Jesus, then I don't know about you, but who would you say were the three women? To me, it's Mary, Mary, and Mary. <laughs> How extraordinary. <laughs> okay, so three vastly different women, I mean individual women from vastly different backgrounds, but they're all called Mary? I think God's trying to say something. I think he's trying to show how much he wants us to be one. As his bride, whether male or female, he wants us ultimately to bear his name. But they're all, we're all stamped with the same. Okay. Again, if we're looking at names and the significance of them, Mary is actually derived from Miriam, 
So if you remember, Miriam was Moses' sister in the Old Testament. She helped deliver him as a baby in the Nile River when Pharaoh wanted to kill him. She was a prophetess, and she led the people in dancing and singing before the Lord once they crossed the Red Sea. Okay, but Mary actually means beloved, bitter, or rebellious, wished for a child. But how extraordinary. Isn't that amazing too? That's a picture of the bride. Is that not what we all are? Loved, deeply beloved by the one who made us. But it's become bitter because of our choices, because of our rebellion. Yet we're wished for children. He loves and desires, he longs for us to come back. Yeah? So let's look at the three Marys. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She physically carried him in her womb, in, in her actual physical person. Just like God wants us to carry his spirit within us every day. She loved him. She trusted him. She followed him to the cross. Then there's Mary Magdalene. Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. She had a hard life. She was obviously quite a wild woman. But he loved her. And she loved him. She supported him out of her own means, it says. She too was at the cross. Mary Magdalene was the first to see him after he rose from the dead. Even before he ascended to the Father, Jesus said, to my Father and your Father, to your Father and my Father. Okay, Peter and John, they saw the empty tomb. They ran there too, again, it's the two, Peter and John. John gets there first, he's youngest, but he doesn't go in. Peter gets there after, he goes straight in. <laughs> he sees the angels, hears the good news, they're all amazed. And it says they went home. But Mary was still there weeping. She saw the angelic. And then she saw Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Isn't that fascinating? So she didn't see, she saw him, but she didn't see him with her eyes. And when he spoke to her, when he called her by name, she knew his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then there's Mary of Bethany. Mm. She often sat at Jesus' feet, listening, learning, drinking in. His living word. Is it not living word? She's not just sitting giving mental assent. She's drinking in and receiving of him. She had seen Jesus raise her brother from the dead. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> She prepared Jesus for burial with the perfume from her alabaster box. She anointed his feet also, and she wiped them with the hairs of her head. The men mocked her for it, but Jesus honored her. It touched him deeply, and he said that wherever the gospel went, her story would be told as a memorial for her. See, Jesus wants us to love him. He wants his bride to be enwrapped with him. Okay. 
He doesn't lead in a hard, dictatorial, dominant way. He very definitely tells us what to do sometimes. But he also lovingly leads us, and he laid down his life for us. And he will again. Well, he doesn't need to in the natural, but he's continually serving and praying for and interceding for each one of us. So it's not just individuals bearing one name, but his love is uniting us as one in him, male and female, called as one people, as one body, to be one bride. Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. It got me thinking again about the oneness there and about the rib. Okay, so God just took one part to fashion that help meet. But why the rib? You know, I mean, he could have made it. He could have made her just out of dust like he made Adam, but obviously he didn't want to do that because he wanted the two to be one. He could have taken any part of Adam, but why the rib? So I started looking into the rib, okay? Now, I am not a medical person at all, so don't hold me to any of this, but I was fascinated what I found when I did a simple search, okay? So, there are three essential functions of ribs. Protection, support, and respiration. They enclose and they protect our heart, don't they? It's not the heart the real source of all love. They also protect the lungs. What did God do in the beginning? He breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. So vital, vital our heart and our lungs his love and his life that he so wants to guard within us. Okay. The lungs are flexible. They move up and down to assist in breathing. So, and how interesting, the rib that he took, obviously, again, right there at his side, right where he wants us. Man and woman close, side by side. Us, next to him, moving with him. Song of Solomon, she's on his arm. Okay. So, the ribs are flexible due to a pair of muscles between each rib. Okay, so again, it's a pair of muscles that move together to allow the ribs to move. Humans have 24 ribs, 12 pairs, 14 true ribs, which are seven pairs, and seven false ribs. Anyways, I hope I'm not losing you in the detail. But what amazed me instantly when I saw that, it's okay. He made her unique, he made her separate. They both have a whole set of ribs, right? So we both have 24 ribs. As Ashley sang, there are 24 elders around the throne who worship day and night, who cast down their crowns before the king. Good picture, if you ask me. Fourteen true ribs coming in seven pairs. Again, seven is, numbers have significance. God created the world in seven days. Then he rested. There's a rest in following him. 
Seven years, Jacob worked for Leah. And then he got tricked, didn't he? Worked seven years to get this wife that he loved, his helpmate. And then Laban does it. Is that not the wickedness of man? Again, why, why did he do that? But was Jacob any different? No, he was a schemer. He scammed and ripped his brother off. He has to work a whole other seven years to get Rachel. But then again, does God have favorites? No. Did he love Leah better? No. God saw that Leah was rejected. She opened her, he opened her womb, and she had children. Rachel, as you know, is barren. <laughs> and there's this whole, you know? But then God blesses her. And it's the chosen. Jacob becomes Israel, and again, the chosen people. Picture of his heart. Picture of the promise. Okay. I'm going to flip into Revelation because... Actually, after Jesus, you know, he was preparing his disciples. He was anointing them, like I said, to be fishers of men, to extend the call beyond the chosen people, okay? Because what is God saying even with that? He chooses us, but we need to choose him, right? Even within the Jewish people, not all are Abraham's children, that are Abraham's children. Is that what it says? Because where's your heart? And how much do you want him? There's the twelve, there's the three, there's the one that lays on his chest. There's a call, everything is available to every one of us. How much do we want him? Do we want to abide in him? Are we willing to surrender all that we can move with him and do things his way? let's stay here I was something in Galatians it says you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven you've come to God the judge of all spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Um, in Galatians, it says, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. That's Hagar, right? These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai on by children who are to be slaves. That's Hagar. Sorry, now Hagar. Oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> What it's saying is that that corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. I don't know if it's that too complicated. I could read it all, but... Okay. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. Okay, sorry, I didn't read about the free men, women. 
So his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of divine promise. Okay? So these are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, whose children were to be slaves, that's Hagar. The other corresponds to the... No, I'm sorry, I'm reading it wrong. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Abraham, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Do you get this? This is a mystery because we get so enwrapped with Israel and looking at Jerusalem now on this earth. But that's actually the old covenant. That's following through Hagar. corresponds to the present city because she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem that is above is free. Sorry, that's what I'm trying to get to. The Jerusalem that above is free, and she is our mother, it says. So can you follow me on that? Eve was mother of all living. All mankind came out of her, but then God again and again has been separate. He's chosen his people to be a picture of his heart. Again, he wanted everyone to come. He comes, he pays the price on the cross. He flings wide. It was Jewish men who captured it, but to spread this good news of the gospel to all the Gentiles, that the whole world come, come in again. Not just who he chooses, but whoever chooses him. Amen? that we become his children and go through to the new Jerusalem, who is our mother, it says. It also says, and I've lost my, my um, marker, I think, but we're going to Revelation 21. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Whatever we flip over, it says, come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and with its brilliance, like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. Okay, now listen to this. Had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. How many ribs do we have? Okay. had a great high wall with, yeah, 12 gates and 12 angels at its gate. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, on the north, on the south, on the west. The walls of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is high. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God give its light. 
and the lamp is its light. In the Old Testament, they had the temple. We know that Jesus now calls us to be living stones, that we are his temple. He abides in us. We abide in him. And we will forever. <laughs> so Lord, I pray that you shine your light on that again. Lord, you've got mysteries upon mysteries. One being that when you're talking about the marriage, you're talking about the church. And Lord, I thank you that each one is called by your name. That, Lord, you want to come to us individually and corporately. You want to lavish your spirit on us without measure. That you want to knit and form us together, even as our ribs, Lord, are knit together in pairs. Even as there's 12 repeated over and over in your kingdom from the priesthood to the tribes to your disciples and through into the foundations of who we are in glory. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite our hearts and open our eyes to see from your perspective Lord, you're building your church. You will have your way. Lord, nothing can separate us from your love. Not height or depth or principality or power. Lord, none of the enemy's plans can thwart your overall design. Jesus, I mean, the, Satan thought he was smart when he took you to the cross. But he was actually playing right into your hand. We're coming into dark days, heavy days, where it looks like all will be lost, where even the elect could lose heart and faint. But Lord, help us to see past the darkness pervading the earth, that we will be captivated by your heart, that we will be so surrendered to your love, that we will want to be by your side, that we'll be at peace, remaining in you. After Jesus ascended back into heaven, there were 120 of them, male and female huddled in the room, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he came, <laughs> and he shook the house, and tongues of fire descended upon their heads. Because God is great, and Jesus is glorious, and nothing could keep that stone in place. <laughs> the angels rolled it away. Jesus came forth, defeated sin and death. That though he dies, yet he lives forever, glorified in the heavens, that though we die, yet we shall live. Yeah. We share in his sufferings, we share in his glory. So Lord, I pray for revelation and insight and understanding to go deep into all of our spirits, that you would become an anchor for our soul, yeah. 
It's not a one-time message. This is a lifelong journey. <laughs> it's a love relationship that will flow for all eternity. He will unfold it and fold it and fold it. Lord, we know in part, we see in part. But one day, we will see you face to face, not just in the spirit, but behold you <laughs> in all your glory and splendor and majesty. Thank you that eternity starts now. It started the day we gave, surrendered our lives. And pray you just captivate our hearts that we will fall head over heels in love with you again and again and again and on deeper and deeper and deeper levels. Because the bride is just the beginning, remember. The bride is the bride on her wedding day. She's the fiancé to the, then you then you become the wife. That's for heaven, right? <laughs> After the marriage supper of the Lamb.